I was thinking of, you know, why it is that I would describe him as such a favorite. And I think that he is one of those special writers where when you read the book, you feel something, you think about something new that you had never thought about before, and you just marvel at the writing. And that's the ultimate trifecta, right? Welcome to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. I can't wait to talk about Baldwin today. I know. We have been all Austin, all of March, which has been delightful, but I am excited to keep exploring new books with you. And this was a new read for me, and I just can't wait to get into it. Yay. I can't wait to hear what you thought about it because James Baldwin is one of my favorite authors, and I just had a hunch that you would really enjoy this one. (laughs) So I'm eager to find out if I was correct. You were correct. Spoiler Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I I really loved my my read of this, and it just was. I, I shared um, in a couple of places online that I have just been feeling kind of in this rut with new releases, and just feeling like the things that I pick up are good, but just a lot of sameness in what I'm reading in terms of style and voice and. Picking up Baldwin, who's just so singular and evocative, just broke me of that rut, and I was so grateful for it. Good. Were there any specific things that you really loved about the reading experience? So not only was this my first time reading Giovanni's Room, I was looking back at what I have read of Baldwin, and this was my first time reading a novel of his. I've only read his nonfiction. And I I love reading the fiction of authors whose philosophy and social commentary I've admired and seeing how that's kind of been interwoven into a fictional story. So that was wonderful. But I also just his his writing is so visceral. And I just felt like I was there in so many, so many scenes and so many moments. And it had been a while, I think, since I'd felt like I'd fully lost myself in a read in that way. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that feeling. Tell us, you've read this one before and Baldwin Mm -hmm. is one of your, your favorite writers. So tell us a little bit about your experience with this and, and maybe with Baldwin in general. Yeah, I had read this a few years ago, and I think that it was the first time that I had ever picked up any of Baldwin's work. And I have to say, even though this is the first Baldwin book that we're discussing on the podcast, I don't know if it's the place that I would recommend people start. Mm-hmm. So I read it, and you know, I, I picked up on the plot. I don't feel like I devoted the right time to it. Sometimes you pick up a book, and it's a great book, and it's not the right time for you to read it. So I think that was the case the first time I read it. And then I ended up reading If Beale Street Could Talk, loved it. I read The Fire Next Time, some of his other essays, and just general books about James Baldwin. And now coming back to read Giovanni's Room, I feel like I had a much greater appreciation for it a better understanding of his style and his work and some of the themes that he wove throughout here. And so I enjoyed it far more in this reading. And so I know that we have a lot of people that read along with the podcast with us. And if this is the first James Baldwin that they're picking up, I would encourage them to read The Fire Next Time right away, just to get a broader sense of who he is, what he writes about, 
and his writing style. Because Giovanni's Room, I think, aside from the last few pages, is in a slightly different style from a lot of his other mm-hmm. work. Yeah. I I'm, I don't have another novel to compare it to. But yeah, I definitely agree. The This book, the writing style is almost simple in like the best way and very it it's still I mean I called it evocative and and it is it transports you there and somehow he manages to do that in almost kind of blunt um sparse style which is really amazing but it didn't have the same kind of construction of language that I had experienced in his nonfiction and I I love that like I I think that I I get frustrated or just I, I feel badly for authors, contemporary authors who try to do new things and people get so readers get so disappointed because they're remembering the last work that they loved by the author and the new one is different. And I, I get that feeling. I've had that feeling before, but I am always so impressed with authors who are constantly innovating and trying new things and changing up their style. So I kind of appreciated the juxtaposition of those those two types of work that I've experienced of his, and I want to read more. So interestingly, because this work was different for Baldwin, publishers didn't want it. And that was in part because they saw pretty good success with Go Tell It on the Mountain and his work about Black life in Harlem. And then he writes this book about white (laughs) characters in Paris and the publishers are like, um, buddy, stick to what you know. (laughs) He didn't want to. This is an imaginative work. And he didn't think that he could tackle race and homosexuality in one novel. I think, you know, we might argue as modern readers that race is a part of the book because it's part of every book. Um, But we just have a different understanding of intersectionality than the late 50s or 1960s. And so he was totally doing something different. And yeah, publishers really didn't want it. And goodness, I'm so glad that this ended up making its way to the world because what a loss if we didn't have Giovanni's room. All right, let's just talk a little bit about the setup and then we can really get into it. So Giovanni's room refers to a little maid's apartment in Paris where the character Giovanni lives. And so in the opening of this novel, we encounter the narrator, David. And David is engaged to an American woman named Hella. And they are both gallivanting in Europe. They are traveling and... I hesitate to call it a gap year. It's like an it was meant to be a gap year and it's been extended and they've just sort of stayed in Paris. Um, but then we get right at the opening of the novel, we learn that David had an affair with a man named Giovanni and Giovanni is about to face the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And those are in the opening pages. I love when books open with the ending and then the book sort of unspools exactly how we got there. I love books that are set up that way. And so that's what we get here. And so we get to see, we get uh, some nice flashbacks all the way back to David's childhood and his family. And then you know, how he meets Giovanni and how their relationship grows and what happens with them, what happens when Hella comes back. And it's this interesting love triangle, but we see it all from David's perspective. He is the narrator and he's not always fun to hang out with. It's not fun to be in his head. No. And I wasn't expecting that. I I think I was, for whatever reasons, you know, whatever I'm bringing to this book from my own, you know, assumptions and cultural understandings was expecting David to be a much more sympathetic character. And it's not that I didn't empathize with, with him, but like you said, I mean, 
he's not always, it's not very enjoyable to be in his head for a lot of the time. And he doesn't enjoy being in his head for much of the time. So yeah, I, I was kind of startled by that, but I ended up really, really appreciating what Baldwin was doing with David as, as a narrator and the kind of push and pull of distance he was creating between the reader and, and David. I'd be curious to hear more about that with like the distance that Baldwin is creating between the reader and David, because what David is doing is creating distance between himself and all of his relationships. Mm -hmm. There's this constant push pull with him and Giovanni and then also with Hella. And so I'm curious to hear how you saw that reflected with what Baldwin was doing with the narrator reader relationship. Well, I think, I mean, a, a huge theme of the book is lies and honesty and the lies David tells himself and therefore tells others about who he is and what, what he wants. And I felt like at times as a reader, I was in on what David was hiding from others. And at other times it felt like um, Baldwin through David as narrator was also trying to lie to the reader, which I thought was brilliant um, because it really showed you who David was, at least at this moment in his, in his life, being kind of unable to reconcile some of his own feelings and desires with his sense of self. I, I feel like we got wrapped into that in a way that was both very intimate and at times felt uncomfortably close to David. And at other times I, I felt like almost like David knew we were lurking there as readers and he was trying to fool us as well. I think he's trying to fool himself. Yeah. I was wondering to myself if this book should come with some trigger warnings because of his self-loathing and self-talk and some of the ways that he describes the gay men around him and the way that he hates himself for his sexuality, because I think that that could be incredibly triggering and difficult to read, particularly if you have experienced thoughts like that or experienced any trauma around your identity. It is of the time, and I have no doubt that Baldwin experienced a lot of these emotions too, particularly growing up in the Christian church. He was a young preacher and, you know, left the church at the same time that he was discovering his identity. Um, identity in this novel is really complicated and left pretty open-ended. And I think that that's beautiful and amazing. Um, but there's so much self-loathing and a lot of pain wrapped up in identity in this book as well. And I think that's why there's this kind of blurry line between sympathy and empathy as connected to, to David, because I, I felt like as much as I could, given my own identity and position in the world, I, I understood David's loathing and given his positionality in the world and where those feelings were coming from. And I also had a really hard time sympathizing with how he turned those hateful feelings that he felt towards himself outward towards particularly, of course, Giovanni, but the other gay men in his life and the women in his life as well. And so, again, I, I feel, I, I think you're absolutely right that there are a lot of triggering feelings and descriptions and emotions in this book. And at the same time, I think that what Baldwin is capturing with this character is really brilliantly done and, and brilliantly put on the page. Yeah. In addition to grappling with his sexuality, David is really struggling with his masculine identity. There's I, this reading particularly, the 
masculinity and the commentary on sort of the gender binary of this is how women are and this is how women are in relation to men and vice versa. I found that pretty fascinating and just unexpected because it wasn't something I really paid attention to on my first reading. And I think that it was really interesting the way that David's masculinity was so wrapped up in his identity and his sexual identity and um, the way that he enacted that on the world, especially, you know, with Hela, when she enters the story, it becomes that much more apparent. Um, but he does have a couple of conversations with Giovanni about um, womanhood and, oh, you want a wife, not a man and things like that, where it felt like he was grasping at his masculinity in addition to trying to grasp it his understanding of who he's supposed to be in the world that jumped out at me significantly more this reading. I mean, and it, it felt so appropriate with, you know, the, the plot of the book and, and David as a character. And I, I completely agree. Those passages, both kind of some of David's inner monologue about what it means to be a woman and, um, what it means to be a man, and then those conversations, both the conversations he has with Giovanni and the conversations he has with Hella, and some of the things that Hella herself says about being a woman were fascinating. And I, I do think this book is as much an exploration of just gender as it is of sexuality, which I I... Yeah, I, I keep saying this book was like not what I expected, and I don't even know how to articulate what I expected. But those those themes running through, like you said, really jumped out to me as well. Another big theme that is really present in the book, especially for a book that is set in Paris, is America and what an American is. I was reading some really interesting commentary on Giovanni's room that sort of talked about how um, any novel about an American abroad is actually a novel about America. And sometimes you have to be removed because that way you have a new lens to think back on home. And I that's so obvious in this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are lots of conversations, especially between Giovanni and David about sort of, you know, France and Europe in general versus America and the American sensibility, but it's threaded throughout the novel in such an interesting way. And I wasn't particularly surprised by that, just knowing that Baldwin went to Paris himself for a reason. And that reason was to get away from America. I I find that, you know, the American literary scene in Paris through the decades, infinitely fascinating. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I it's not a book that I'm like inclined to or want to simplify into some sort of allegory, of course, because it's so nuanced and so complex. But the way he is positioning David's character as our kind of American lens for viewing the rest of Paris and all of these other characters was really, really compelling. And it just kind of makes you consider the various components of David's character and maybe what Baldwin is trying to say about Americanness through him. You're right that the characters themselves and the way they operate in the world, it is interesting to think about David as representing America in some way or representing what an American might do <laughs> in his position. But something that does come up often is sort of the reference to like, oh, well, what we're doing here in France would be considered illegal in America. And so, you know, that sense of Freedom versus being imprisoned mm -hmm. comes up a lot. It comes up with specifically Giovanni's room, mm -hmm. feeling that that's like trapped like in a prison, David feeling really trapped in himself. And yet France is supposed to be this sort of place that is 
more free from what other people think, from the law, from oppression. Um, and so there's so much in this. This book is 167 pages. Yeah. I, I'm really glad you brought up Giovanni's room, the, the setting, the, the physical place. That was a component of the book that really fascinated me. Of course, because it's the title of the book, we're inclined to pay attention to the space and every time that phrase comes up. And one of the things I've been wondering about, and I only finished this morning before we started chatting, and this is a book that I wish I had read a little bit before recording, just because there's, like you said, there's so much and there's so much to process. So one of the things I'm still processing and I'm still um, just wondering about is the, the use of his descriptions of the room in particular how Giovanni is trying to improve the room and adding adding shelves and making it brighter and painting and just constantly working to improve this space that David finds both extremely liberating in the sense that he can only be this version of himself in this tiny, tiny space, but also he feels very imprisoned there. And just wondering what that, you know, that inclination towards improvement um, is is saying or doing in this novel. Hmm. I didn't think about it that way. I was just curious if we are supposed to consider the room a metaphor. I mean, I certainly think we could come up with some things because it's so often described as small and dirty and um, stifling. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, is the room supposed to represent hiding in secret, hiding who you are in secret? But your point about the improvement, I think that there is this element in this book that because it's really dark and there's such a focus on the self-loathing, on the um, commentary on America on the, um, I just on the sheer craft of it, but this is also a book about love. And I wonder if, if that has something to do with it. There's this part where, um, they're in the room and Giovanni is really like professing his love to David. It's a very difficult scene just because it's heart. Like I just, my heart was really breaking for Giovanni. Mm-hmm. Um, And Giovanni says, um, you want to leave Giovanni because he makes you stink. You want to despise Giovanni because he is not afraid of the stink of love. You want to kill him in the name of all your lying little moralities. And you, you are immoral. You are by far the most immoral man I have met in all my life. Look, look what you have done to me. Do you think you could have done this if I did not love you? Is this what you should do to love? And David is so preoccupied with homosexuality and what that means, um, or bisexuality and what that means for him, that he, he is neglecting love and what that might mean. He's really preoccupied with the morality of what he's doing, the morality of, of being, um, having an affair when he's supposed to be in a relationship, in engagement, And Giovanni is here trying to say you are missing the entire point of all of this. You're so wrapped up in all of that other stuff that you have no consideration for love and, you know, what you've done to me. Mm -hmm. And this is all in the room, Mm -hmm. in this tight space. It's like this is really reads like a play or a script, a screenplay. Because so many of the scenes are like those tight scenes. There's a lot of dialogue. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that connects back to what you're saying about the room at all. I don't know either, but I am enjoying where this <laughs> conversation is <laughs> is going. I I think that your the scene you read and the the points you bring up about morality and love, I think, are also largely connected to that commentary about. America and Americanness and this contrast between like a more dogmatic, rigid, rule-following view of morality, which is, of course, ironic 
coming from a a country that very much professes to be for freedom and liberty and individualistic thought, and then a morality that's grounded in, I mean, at least from what Giovanni's saying, in, in love and um, and seeing the way your actions impact others and and kind of letting that be more of your compass than a hard and fast rule. I I find that kind of question and conversation really compelling as well. I was just uh, looking at a quote that I had dropped in our document here that I plucked from an article. It's something that James Baldwin said, and he spoke quite a bit about his time in Paris and how it's not that, you know, racism and discrimination disappeared when, because it still existed there, but that it wasn't so stifling that he could focus on living and not on surviving. And the quote that I plucked, he said, in Paris, I didn't feel socially attacked, but relaxed. And that allowed me to be loved. Mm. And it's, I mean, gosh, I mean, you could sit with that sentence for so long, but just thinking about that in relation to Giovanni and David and David who isn't allowing himself to be loved. He's not really allowing himself to love either, even though we totally get by the end that he was in love with Giovanni. Mm -hmm. The relationships in this novel are incredibly complicated and the, the notion of love is really complicated. It's, it's not the hopeful and warm fuzzy kind of, feeling that we often want in a book about love, but it, it explores some of the darkness that's there. That's, that's very true. And I think that Baldwin quote can really apply to many of the characters in, in this book. I I think you're right. Like we do by the end believe that David was really in love with Giovanni. Um, but he couldn't have done anything different with that emotion given his views of himself at at this time and that is that's a tragedy i think because you know i think the the greatest like literary tragedies are where we can see a different outcome but we know that that outcome has no potential of coming to fruition and i feel like that's what we get from from their relationship. And I think that part of the reason why Baldwin structures this book the way that he does with the opening, we know it's a doomed relationship from the start. We know what happens to Giovanni. And so we don't get that sense of hopefulness that we would if it were a linear narrative Mm -hmm. because we know how it's going to end. And so instead we have to have this pit in our stomachs the entire time that we're reading. And even as we sort of see like, but don't you see how it could have been? Yeah. Um, Don't you see how it could be if you stayed in Paris? We know from the beginning that it, there's this sense of doom and gloom hanging over us the whole time. And that's a really strong choice. It adds a lot of layers of beauty and and tragedy and pain to to the book that already <laughs> already has all of those things and i i did find this book to be exceedingly beautiful it's a tough book to say you like enjoyed um but i really loved and appreciated my my read of this and it's interesting to hear that you don't think this is necessarily the place for for Baldwin readers to start. I've read The Fire next time, but I'm really, really eager to read more of his fiction now and just have more of a sense of his his range and and what what ideas he's working with. Yeah, I for me this wasn't the best place to start. I felt like I got more out of reading some of his other work, but you can't go wrong with James Baldwin. You just can't <laughs> because he's so brilliant. And he's such an incredible writer. 
And I end up loving everything that I read by him. Part So I was thinking of, you know, why it is that I would describe him as such a favorite. And I think that he is one of those special writers where when you read the book, you feel something, you think about something new that you had never thought about before, and you just marvel at the writing. And that's the ultimate trifecta, right? For a nerdy reader. <laughs> of course, <is> absolutely. When, <laughs> is when you are caught up in the emotion of it and you can admire the craft and the brilliance of the writer. And then also that it stretches you a little bit, makes you think about something you hadn't thought of before or presents a perspective that you hadn't stepped into before. And I just always find that with Baldwin's work. He's so incredible. I think a lot of our pairings do, if not all of those three things, as well as Baldwin, they're at least getting us towards those same same things. And I am really excited to hear about what you've paired with Giovanni's Room and, and share my books as well. So do you want to kick us off, Chelsea? Okay. I am really excited to talk about this book, Sarah. I just finished it today, actually. I listened to it on audio. It is Like a Love Story by Abdi Nazemian. It's YA. Oh my gosh. I was definitely in tears by the end. It's a gut punch, rip your heart out, stomp on it kind of book, but also just so good. And it does have an element of hopefulness that I think is partly missing from Giovanni's Room. Not that every book has to be hopeful. I'm not saying that Giovanni's Giovanni's Room has to be. Um, But this one does have a little element of, of hope in it. So this is a book about three teenagers. And they're, I believe, in their senior year of high school, older teens, a lot of the YA that I've been reading recently is older teens. And I really, I don't know, I just really like that. So Riza is um, just in New York, new school, new city, because his mother recently remarried. And they emigrated to Canada after the Iranian Revolution and then moved to New York City. And so he is navigating new life in America. And so that definitely has a connection to Giovanni's room. And I think his character, we also get some of the sort of self-loathing, the questioning, the self-hate from Reza. And this is a journey. So that's really how he is at the beginning of the novel. We definitely see a character arc and it doesn't stay that way. But some of this it was definitely, you know, difficult to listen to. Um, so that's Riza. And then we have Art. And Art is out and proud and goes to protests and is like outliving his truth as a young gay man. So we just have this contrast in characters. Judy wants to be a fashion designer. She is best friends with Art. And she has a huge crush on Riza. Riza and Judy end up dating because Riza is unwilling to admit to himself that he's gay. But Art falls for Riza as well. And there's just this really tough love triangle that your heart goes out to each of these characters because you want each of them to feel loved and to love. Um, But you know who is supposed to be together. And it tests their friendship and their relationships This book is set in the late 80s and early 90s at the height of the AIDS crisis. And so there is also this element of enormous fear, especially from Riza and Art. But Judy's uncle has AIDS and is in some of the later stages of the disease and the other infections that have attacked his body. And so... I I just, there are so many reasons why this ties so well to Giovanni's room. It, the epigraph is a James Baldwin quote. (laughs) I think that there are some subtle references throughout the book 
we've got that love triangle element. There's a lot of commentary on America and just cultural commentary. And I think that the other thing that just makes it such a perfect pairing is it's really a timestamp. The setting is really strong. It's incredibly evocative. And you just totally feel like you are there in the moment. I've really loved this one. I thought it was so good. I feel like I was coming up with all of these other reasons why it was a good pairing while I was listening to it. And they just have gone out of my brain because (laughs) I just had to share the setup of the novel. It's one of the best young adult books that I've read in a really long time. And I just loved it. Oh, the other thing I will say. So we get the perspective from each of these three main characters. So the chapters alternate between Riza, Art, and Judy. And so we get to be inside of their heads, which also feels very Giovanni's room. It's really lovely, super well-written. So that's like a love story by Abdi Mazemian. That sounds fantastic. And I'm going to switch up my order here because I think one of my books, in addition to being a pairing for Giovanni's room, will also be a good pairing for like a love story. Ooh, and nice. that is Swimming in the Dark by Tomas Jadrovsky. Have you read or heard of this one? The title sounds familiar to me. The author does not. So it came out last year, but I completely missed it. And I heard it brought up on an episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. And I immediately downloaded it from Libro FM because it sounded like it might be a good pairing for Giovanni's room. And it was like six hours long. I was like, I can finish this and and see. Oh my gosh. I loved it so much. And I, I think so many readers would love it. And it feels like it flew a little under the radar last year. It's also set in the 1980s, but it's set in communist Poland. And it is about two boys, Ludwig and Janusz. And they meet at this like summer agriculture program that they're both involved in. And initially are kind of skeptical of each other, but then like once they start falling for each other, it's fast <laughs> and passionate and and very quick. And and yeah, they fall in love. And this was a time when being gay was criminalized in Poland. And and so there's immediately a sense of danger, both because of their relationship and because of the growing political tensions in the country. Similar to Giovanni's Room, the book begins with us knowing that these two men are apart. Um, so we know from the beginning that that's where that's where we're headed. But even though there's a sense of danger and the sense of tragedy, the book depicts their love in just a really heartfelt and vulnerable and beautiful way. Just the the way when you're young, just everything feels so big and and important and it is um i i loved that they and then they read giovanni's room together and they discuss it and it like brings them closer together and kind of helps them understand themselves so i of course loved that and another thing i loved about this book was the way it shows ludwig and janusz growing apart we know that this is going to happen, as I said, but it's not just the attitudes around queerness that pull them apart, but that political upheaval in their country. Janusz is kind of able to work within the system, and he finds himself rising quickly in the governmental ranks, where Ludwig is extremely upset by the economic inequity he sees around him, and he becomes more involved in political protests. And so they also have this conflict of political ideology and what they think is best to do as individuals and for their country. So I I think the reasons this pairs so well with Giovanni's Room are are pretty obvious. I mean, of course, Giovanni's Room plays a role in Swimming in the Dark, which is just a nice, lovely pairing. But also because they're both those kind of searing portraits of love and loss and exploration of cultural and political difference. And the characters are just so vibrant and real. So that was Swimming in the Dark. I loved it. It was great on on audio as well. That does sound like such a perfect pairing for like a love story. Yeah, I know. Now I really want to read like a love story because I loved this one so much. 
I do think you would really like it. I will just add, I wanted to make a special note of trigger warnings around families. There's some really tough scenes around parents not accepting their gay kids. And I just think that that merits a trigger warning for like a love story. It's about found families and there's there's a lot of, of love, but those scenes can be pretty tough. So just some heads up for that before people pick that up. All right. What do you have next for us, Chelsea? All right. This is one that we've mentioned on the podcast, but I just don't feel like we were able to give it the appropriate amount of airtime. So we mentioned how we fight for our lives by Saeed Jones in our episode on Malcolm X with Tracy of the Stacks. And we mentioned this book as a great pairing, but we were going through a ton of pairings for Malcolm X and we were running low on recording time. And so I just, you know, wanted to pair this one again, even though we try and avoid doubling up. It's a really great pairing for Giovanni's room. Saeed Jones is a poet and this is his coming of age memoir. He's incredible. I mean, his writing is just incredible. I think that that is reason reason enough to pair him with Baldwin. But his memoir about growing up as a young gay Black man in the South onto, it's kind of sweeping in terms of like he moves to a lot of different places. When he goes away to college, there's a significant portion of the memoir that's devoted to that time. And he talks in depth about his relationships. And I just think it's such a great pairing for Giovanni's room and for James Baldwin in general. And I highly encourage people to read it. Saeed Jones is just brilliant. Um, Just a couple of quotes to give you a sense of Jones's writing and why he makes such a great pairing for Baldwin. He says... Being black can get you killed. Being gay can get you killed. Being a black gay boy is a death wish. And one day, if you are lucky, your life and death will become some artist's new project. He also says, I envied the girls who felt comfortable enough to cry how easily they breathed. Mm. Yeah. He's a poet. His writing is incredible. This is a short book. I listened to it on audio from Libro FM and Saeed Jones narrates. And I think that's an incredible way to read this. And I I really wanted to pair a memoir with Giovanni's Room because it kind of reads a little bit like a memoir. And that first person narrator and being in someone's head and experiencing their thoughts is really central to the reading experience. So Lots of reasons why How We Fight for Our Lives by C.E. Jones pairs well, but I think the primary reason is just that he's such a brilliant writer. I have one up next that I know we both read. It is Real Life by Brandon Taylor. This book came out last year. It's Brandon Taylor's debut novel, and he already has another collection of short stories coming out this year, um, which is exciting. The book follows a character named Wallace, who is a shy, queer black man pursuing a PhD in, I think it's microbiology. The sciences get jumbled in my brain. Um, and at a at a Midwestern school. And that I think that's that setting is is really important to this book. So at the beginning of the book, Wallace is going to meet up with his quote unquote friends, or at least his cohort of other um, other students in his program. And he, in this scene, can't bring himself to tell his friends that his father has died. I usually don't give that much detail about how a book starts, but I, I think the way this book starts just really highlights so many of the themes the book ends up exploring and does such a good job of, of portraying Wallace as a character who... Um, I wouldn't say he's self-loathing in the way that David is, but he's he certainly is unsure of himself. He's anxious. He's he's awkward. He's not comfortable in his skin, and he has a lot of questions about his identity. Um, and the book really explores his identity and the feeling of being an outsider. It primarily takes place over a single weekend, and 
Um, it's really amazing how much Taylor fits into the span of a few days without the book feeling like sensational or overcrowded in any way. And much of the book is about Wallace's relationship with or just encounters with another student named Miller, who is white and says he's straight, but he doesn't engage in and this relationship with Wallace, at least briefly. And in addition to exploring that very kind of intense relationship, the book also explores all of the various casual and cruel moments of racism that Wallace experiences from his lab mates and his professors and just so many of the people he encounters throughout the book. This book really pairs well with Giovanni's Room because of its exploration of identity. We talked about how the intersectionality of identity in Giovanni's Room is not necessarily like what comes to the forefront as modern readers and and real life is very much exploring intersectionality in a 2021 kind of way. All of Wallace's aspects of himself are important to the plot of the book and his character development throughout. It also is a really detailed depiction of a specific culture, in this case, academia at a Midwestern university. And I think Baldwin in Giovanni's room and Taylor have have similar styles, both fairly sparse. To me, Baldwin's is a little more visceral. Sometimes this is one of my critiques of (laughs) real life Taylor's verges into like these cerebral metaphors that just don't really work for me a lot of the time, but I still felt like his writing was really evocative and, and and especially because this is a debut, I'm really excited to see what Taylor does next. So that was real life. And I know you, you read it as well. Yeah. I listened to it on audio, which might not have been the right way to go for me. I think that maybe I would have liked it better if I had read it on paper. It's one of those books that I could recognize was a really great book. I think that Brandon Taylor is an incredible writer and, you know, it's a debut and I'm looking forward to what else he comes out with. And I'll, I would pick up another book of his, but this one, I think I was trying to figure out why it didn't work for me or why I didn't love it. And I think that I don't love a lot of the literary fiction that is coming out now that claims to explore millennial friendships, but like none of these people seem like they should actually be friends Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or they don't seem like friends. They're all just people who hang out together and hate each other. And that is very much... I think this book fits in that category. Yeah, I actually think I, I think that's a great critique of that genre in in general. And I I will say I think if you really like Sally Rooney's books, you would really like Real Life by Brandon Taylor. It's kind of exploring millennial relationships in uh, a similar way. So I think that's totally fair. Uh, critique of or or just you know like a, a self knowledge about what you <laughs> don't necessarily love in in your millennial books. All right. What is your final pairing, Chelsea? Okay, this is a book that really did work for me. <laughs> um it is James Baldwin The Last Interview and Other Conversations. And there are a bunch of these with different authors. And the covers are all these fantastic artist renderings of the author's portraits. And it is just literally a collection of interviews, which maybe doesn't sound interesting to read unless you're reading an interview with James Baldwin, who was not only a great writer, but was a great speaker and great interviewee. So these interviews are fascinating and... I particularly would recommend this with Giovanni's room because he talks a lot about his experience in Paris. And the last section, the last interview, takes place in France in 1987. And the interviewer like flies to Baldwin's home in France. And there's just a lot that you can glean about Baldwin's experience between America and France that I think goes really well with Giovanni's room and really adds to the reading experience. So 
James Baldwin, the last interview and other conversations, I think, I think that it would pair well with any of Baldwin's works, but I just wanted to recommend it now with Giovanni's Room for the France content and just to give a little, just a little variety. I think there are lots of great books about Baldwin, but I love to read his own words and his interviews were really illuminating and fascinating. And you'll definitely pick up other book recommendations as you read it. Mm. He also talks about his relationships with other authors. Toni Morrison gets mentioned in here. Um, I think that at one point the interviewer asks if she sent him Beloved and James Baldwin talks about how her strength is allegory. So there's a lot to love for literary nerds with this last interview series. Oh, that sounds great. I'm definitely going to check that out. All right, Sarah, what is your final pairing? So for my final one, I went with Here For It or How to Save Your Soul in America by R. Eric Thomas, which I know you read and loved as well. And I love his newsletter, too. I just love him in general. He's fantastic. We'll put a link to his newsletter in our show notes. This is a very different book from Giovanni's Room. I am aware of that. (laughs) But I I wanted to include something very different. Um, We have a lot of, of heavy books on this episode today. You all know me. I love my dark literary fiction. And sometimes, though, it's great to read something that explores really important topics in a way that brings some levity and joy and humor to it. And that is what this book is. So we just said that we love our Eric Thomas. He's a writer in many different veins. I think he writes scripts and for television and he, but he also is very much a cultural commentator and humorist and um this book is his memoir in essays a genre we both love and he's exploring mostly what it was like for him to grow up gay and black and christian and how he made sense of all of those intersections of his identity throughout his life whether that was in primarily white spaces or in his church or just the way he talks about different identities and how as a person you kind of shift what you show from space to space, I thought was was really, really fascinating. And so I, I think this just pairs well probably with Baldwin in general, but with Giovanni's Room for its exploration of queer identity. Um, this book is also very much about America and Americanness as we see in that subtitle, How to Save Your Soul in America. And I think some of those questions about American morality, American views on morality, are explored in in Here for It as well, but in, like I said, a very, very different way. So this book is really fun and humorous while still exploring really important topics. And I don't want to just say that it's all like fluffy and fun and like, delightful it's all it's fun and delightful but it touches on really hard things as well so definitely know that going in so I loved here for it and and if you're looking for a book that is interested in identity and exploring that and kind of through a different tone this might be one to pick up it's also I think a must do on audio um if you read this Go for the audio for sure. So that's Here For It by R. Eric Thomas. I think that I listened to Here For It shortly after I listened to How We Fight For Our Lives. And that was a great pairing. They're so different in tone, but they are coming of age memoirs Mm -hmm. from gay black men. And they're just both fabulous. So I really loved listening to those back to back. And we've mentioned Libro FM a bunch in this episode. We have a code for you so that you can get two audiobooks for the price of one. You can use code Novel Pairings at checkout with Libro FM, or you can go to our show notes to find a quick and easy link to just take you right there. We love their audiobook subscription service. I listened to two of my three pairings today, and I listened to some of Giovanni's Room on Libro, which was also excellent. Okay, Sarah. It's time for picks of the week, which are like bonus pairings that aren't necessarily books. So (laughs) I'm really excited to hear what 
you would recommend to go along with Giovanni's room. Have you watched the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro? Not yet. Oh my god! It's like saved in my queue. You have to. You will love it. That is my pick of the week. It is a documentary that kind of takes um, an unfinished book by James Baldwin of the same name, I Am Not Your Negro. Samuel L. Jackson is our narrator of the documentary. He reads a lot from this unfinished book, but we also see all of these clips of Baldwin interviews. And as you said, his interviews are just must must read, must watch, must encounter in some way. And seeing and hearing him on on screen sharing more about his life, more about his work, more about his his views on race is really amazing. Um, This documentary is just really, really incredibly done. It is one of those frustrating documentaries that is exploring the past in a way where you're like, are they talking about life right now? Because Mm -hmm. that's, that's the world we are still living in, in many ways. And I think those types of stories and histories are really important to to explore. This film is just, it's great. It, it both explores Baldwin's life, but primarily, I guess, his, just his thinking on, on race and, and America and culture. I um, showed this in my classroom and it's great for students, but do know there are some deeply unsettling images that pop up throughout the documentary. So know that for your yourself going in, but also if you were to want to watch this with, um, a teenage kid of yours or with a class, there will be moments that you want to timestamp for yourself so you can give some trigger warnings throughout. So it's just, it's fabulous. And I think it's on Netflix available for free. I'll double check that. But that is I Am Not Your Negro, the 2016 documentary. We'll add some trigger warnings. We don't always give trigger warnings for pairings or things that we recommend, but since we've mentioned quite a few of them today, we'll make sure that we include those in the show notes so that as you scan your list, you've got those. I also think there are some significant ones for how we fight for our lives, just some that we might have missed. So we'll include that in the show notes for everyone. All right, Chelsea, what is your pick of the week? Okay, I wanted to recommend something that sort of captures the feeling of Paris that we get in the novel, because I do think that one of the strengths of Giovanni's room is just that setting and the feeling of Paris through the seasons. So there is a 1961 film that stars Paul Newman and Sidney Poitier called Paris Blues. And they're two jazz musicians and they go to Paris and fall in love with two women. And yeah, that's about it. But it's about Paris and it's in black and white. There's jazz music. There's just like that sense of Americans in Paris. And I think since it's a 1961 film, it just matches up with the time period of the publishing of Giovanni's Room really well. So if you kind of want to immerse yourself in that Parisian feeling, Paris Blues, the 1961 film would be a good one to watch and sort of just get that that feeling from. I think it's probably on YouTube, but I'll check out where where you can stream it. So we're actually, we're not done talking about Giovanni's Room. We are reading Giovanni's Room together for Classics Club, and we will discuss it with them at the end of the month. So to chat with us and the rest of our book community, to get live and recorded classes, and to get bonus episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash novel pairings to join our community. And you can be the first to know about our Instagram live schedules, new Patreon content that we've posted, and more in our weekly newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com. We can't wait to hear all about your experiences with Giovanni's Room. Be sure to tag us on Instagram at novelpairingspod. And we love to see when and where you're listening. So tag us in those Instagram stories. Keep spreading the word about Novel Pairings Podcast by sending your friends a link to your favorite episode or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. 
thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with our spring edition of Short Story Club. You can find the link to the short story we're reading in our show notes. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything.